Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Ryan Cooper. And I'm Alexi the Greek. A special episode today because the star guest for today is the Coops himself. Mr. Ryan Cooper is here not just as co-host and producer, but he is here as guest author of a new book coming out on Tuesday. How are you going to pay for that? Uh, smart answers to the dumbest question in politics, although Ryan says he did not write the subtitle. So That's right. Um, if it, or if it's very catchy and you like it, he did write it. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't like it at all, it wasn't his choice. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to talk to Ryan about his book and uh, and dive into that. And there might be a you know a surprise coming later too that you can uh, be on Tinder hooks for or something. Is that what do people do? That do they? Uh, is, is that something you could be on Tinder T- hooks? Is that Tinder? Isn't it Tinder hooks? Tinder, Tinder, not Tinder. Not Tinder I'm, hooks. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the dating app now. That's so. Uh, <laughs> West Elm Caleb was on Tinder hooks. <laughs> Nice. Nice. We're off to a fire start. <laughs> excellent. Excellent, buddy. All right. Well, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right, buddy. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about your book. Your book, which is coming out, everybody, coming out on Tuesday, January 25th, uh, which is the same day, I believe, as a launch event with David Dan, right? Is that is that uh, the day? That is correct. Yeah. The, uh, the It's a, uh, an event at the Powerhouse Arena. Um, remote, of course, uh, and yeah, we'll we'll throw a link to that in the in the show notes, the description. You and Dan, it's just the two of you uh, powwowing. It'll be a good time. I've never done a book event launch myself, uh, so I don't exactly know how they work. But well, that makes sense. It is your first book. Your yeah. your uh, you know first foray into the publishing world. Very exciting. Um. <laughs> And you, you know what? Just in Coop's fashion, you, you do it all at once. You did your own audio book. You recorded the whole book uh, on your own. We've getting some questions about that. So everybody, the mellifluous, uh, you know, voice of, of Cooper will be reading his own words to you if you so choose. I we have a, a big, uh, you know, fan of the show that uh, has already said he's going to get both. He's he's pre-ordered the book <laughs> and he's going to get the audio book. So that's the way to do it. That's what we're talking about here on Left. Anchor. I mean, that's why I uh, that's why I sat in that studio, you know, and and a, a thing which I quite enjoy doing actually, reading reading my words and thinking, gosh, I wish I had more time to work this prose over some more. <laughs> All right, that's enough. I I said to stop it with the self-deprecation today. This is uh, Ryan, the, the least likely person to self-promote in the universe, is going to have to try to do it for for one episode here. Um, I think I you will. Know, you so know, here. the the I, I will say at the risk of being a boastful piece of shit that I think my audiobook is going to be somewhat better than average in uh, compared to the usual author recorded audiobook, precisely because. I've had, uh, what, four years almost now to practice on the podcast. (laughs) And so I don't have quite the same droning monotone that a lot of writers have, you know, because they don't they 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 don't quite have the the same experience, the same privilege, in fact, that I have had to sit here in the podcast uh, booth (laughs) uh, slash Skype room with you. (laughs) <laughs> and learn about well, I, radio voice. It's, uh, you know, we've been cultivating all kinds of skills here together. It's been great. Absolutely. And, you know, it, 
in all honesty, I really love the book. And not just because uh, you bribed me to say that, but because <laughs> it's true. I mean, and it, it, what, what, I guess what shouldn't have surprised me, um, but, but which nonetheless struck me afterwards is look, this is a proper 300 page book, people. This is, this is no, you know, insubstantial, uh, work here. And it's lean. It's like coops. It is cut. There's no fat on it. It is, uh, it is ripped. And it's funny. It's full of interesting facts and illuminating historical, economic and, and policy, uh, frameworks. And I think the key for me that I really enjoyed is that it really embodied you. It, it radiated from a deeply caring and moral, uh, principled place, you know, that, uh, that I think is going to resonate with our listeners because it's really not just giving all of these, uh, interesting details that can help us think through how to fight, you know, the fascists and the neoliberals, but it is, is a vision for a just world, you know, and it's the kind of thinking we need, uh, to, to face hegemony and to come up with counter hegemony. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I was really, really happy because I've been talking to you for years. I've been thinking with you for years, but I learned a lot just from reading the book, which, which is a pretty cool thing, you know, <laughs> if, you th- if you think about it, right? Like, uh, I, I read your, your, um, your pieces and I talk to you a lot and still I learned a whole lot. Uh, I shook my fist a lot. I laughed a lot. And, um, and so it was like a microcosm of, of being your friend and uh, partner in crime. And so that was, that was pretty cool that I have this book now. That I can uh, hold on to, and, and it could be whenever I want the coops, I can bring him to life on the page, and it'll be good. So, yeah, those are just some initial thoughts. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's how I felt. And that, you know, uh, I think you, you know, you're 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 too kind. You're too kind, of course. I have to say that I can't help from. I was raised in a in a Mormon <laughs> culture. You know, you you can't you can't wrapped on the knuckles anytime you had any. The, the, <laughs> pride and yeah the, you 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 have to you have to be uh modest you have to be humble you know but i think that you've captured very well what i was trying to do like i i'm i'm trying to pre like uh a uh, wrap up sort of the last uh almost a decade now of 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 writing that i've been doing in a nice kind of bow um i did not have the time unfortunately to write uh, a completely original book that would be just totally out in left field, something I'd never touched before uh, because I was working, f- writing full time while I was writing the book. Uh, I took one week off. Uh, I used up my own vacation days. I wrote 20,000 words in nine days uh, I do not recommend doing that. I don't think it is salutary <laughs> in terms of the eventual quality of the product, but that it is what it is. That's how that. No, that's that's why. Look, and so here's the thing. Here's the thing about um, you know Aristotle's understanding of excellence as habituation. Right, the fact that you. Uh, as you self-deprecatingly say, pump out an article every day of the week uh, on command, basically, to, to, to write about what's going on, um, has made you quite good at writing effectively, uh, clearly, and, and cogently, uh, and analytically in a short period of time yeah. uh, on complicated issues, right? And so, uh, th- this, is, this is in that style. And, and you know, to dive in a little bit, it's in two parts, right? And so uh, it's very funny, by the way, in terms of the titles and everything. There, there's some 
Uh, there's some humor, some trolling of Trump and other good things in there that people will enjoy. Um, but, uh, but you know, the first part is kind of diving into what the title suggests the book is, is going to be about, you know, the, um, you know, again, how are you going to pay for that is the title, right? <laughs> and, uh, so we're, we're, we're looking into this hegemonic thinking, which at the open, you, you kind of, um, discuss as a saving schooled or austerity logic, uh, which, which is interesting because, because, you know, tell us a little bit about this because very quickly what you're showing is that the, the kind of moral logic, the normative statement is not only backwards, but it's also descriptively false. And so maybe you can tell us a little bit about, uh, about this as we, as we enter into this, um, backwards thinking ideology that dominates us today, right? Yeah, so uh, the the pandemic ended up being a a, a pretty um, a pretty interesting window into like the sort of basic moral and um, you know kind of technical framework uh, that. Uh, a, a test case, as it were, of how people think about how the economy works, you know. And so the, I started the book out with uh, saving scolds, you know, the the uh, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, you know, and just like the uncountable number of like advertisements. You, you see them all over the place. Uh, Mr. Money Mustache is sort of my nemesis in this regard. Uh, as is like a, a guy who has a website who who does this sort of thing, and he has become very rich, to, uh, basically promoting a sort of austerity lifestyle uh, based on saving shitloads of money and sort of sort of uh, uh, kind of crunchy environmentalist uh, branding of that type of thing, um, and uh, what happened in the start of the pandemic was that people started saving a shitload of money. Like people stopped going out. They stopped, they stopped uh, doing their normal service spending, they, uh, restaurants especially. Uh, and so the savings rates shot up from like 6% to like 33%, the highest rate ever recorded. Yeah, right. And the result of that was, uh, instant employment crisis. Uh, people, you know, all of that spending at all those restaurants and and uh, you know uh, clothing stores and so on that had supported the jobs of people uh, in all of those uh, businesses, and like the money was going around in circles, and 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 like. It was just an instant lesson, like literally in the course of days and weeks of economic interdependence. And this is like like the the kind of fundamental, like technical thing I'm trying to like hammer home in the book is that we are all dependent on each other. No matter how much you want to deny it, every single person in this country depends on on hundreds and thousands and millions of people doing things that help us in some ways that are very obvious and some and and some ways that are extremely not obvious on the long end right. of a giant chain of technical like like things that neither of us may be even aware of it in any sense but like 
the yep. pandemic showed that uh, what makes the economy go around is the spending of of like the uh, the, the consumer, you know. And when that goes away, uh, the whole thing fucking folds up immediately. You know, we we had, you know, you look at the 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 uh, uh, St. Louis Fed graph of uh, new unemployment claims. You know, you you'd look at this in like 2010 and be like, oh man. It was going so high. We were up to we were up to six hundred thousand jobs a month, yeah. or, 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 or jobs lost per month in in March uh, of two thousand eight. Uh, we hit uh, over six million in one week in April, um, because you know it was like like because people finally did collectively what all the financial gurus told them is what would help yep. them succeed in life and, and financially reward stop, them for being good stop spending yeah. you hogs and if everyone does that it's <laughs> like the whole society is standing on its own hands you know and nobody can move and uh there was a yeah, total destitution would have been the result if it were not for the government response to that we can get into that later right. but like like yeah what was happening in March and April, this has kind of been lost, I feel like, in the popular discourse. What was happening in March and April was like probably the most severe economic crisis in the history of the human race. Um, like it it would have, like back in the, early, in the day in 1918 or, you know, the Black Death and whatnot, the economic functioning of society did not depend to, in, uh, any way uh, 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 to remotely comparable extent on the spending of the average person. You know, most no, people were peasants, you know, like, like it was not about like most people did not work for wages back in those, right. back in the pre-capitalist days uh, or, or even in 1918 when, I mean, something like what, like 40% of the, of the population of the United States was farmers, something like that. Now, you know, where like most people live in somewhat advanced capitalist societies, you know, from China to India, you know, like middle-ish income countries to like Europe and the United States, where consumer spending is, you pull that, you pull that, uh, you know, cotter pin out of the economy and the whole thing just fucking falls apart overnight so quickly. You know, it's not a question of yeah. of like years. It's a question of days, and uh, and that you know, it was like we, if you remember back in March 2020, how uh, how brutally that was sort of beaten into us all. You know, how much we depend on on each other. You know, not just in terms of the virus, but in terms of like how we sort of interact in uh, in uh, economically, yeah. dollars and cents. Social relations. No, it, it re reminds me of um, both the scene in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, where, the, where there's the bank run. Yeah. And, and you know, J Jimmy Stewart's like, don't you understand? Your money's in his house and, and her money's in her house. Yep. And, and you all have to, we have to stick together. So, I mean, eventually we'll get to the fact that because descriptively it just is true that we depend, we're interdependent in all these ways that are economic, political, social uh, true freedom at the end, for a little spoiler, is also going to be uh, collective and require uh, an understanding of our interdependence. And no one's free till everyone's free. So I, I love that bit of the vision that we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but 
but back to diagnosing some of the hegemonic thinking here, right? So, um, you know, so it just won't work to think individually in terms of the economy. And yet, I, I also, so one more uh, on that point, one more thing I like that you illuminated is even if the uh, neoliberal or um, proprietarianism uh, ideology, Proper, right? Propertarianism. Uh, Propertarianism? Propertarianism? Yeah, I use okay. the Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, uh, the, the, the pr- proprietarianism, Thomas, uh, Piketty, Piketty uses that right? One. Oh, I'm thinking of I, Piketty. I like, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's version better. I don't know. I, I, it's, I guess a, a question of taste. <laughs> well, it's harder for me to pronounce, so I'm going to say neoliberalism. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, the, um, even in the logic of let's, which in practice doesn't ever happen. Let's get the state out of, you know, the, the free markets operation or the market economy's operation. Even then we're interdependent on each other, even in the libertarians wet dream, right? Like, so, yeah. so that was a, an interesting point right. to, there, to make, I think. Like one, a, a good slogan about that one is to just say like, there's no such thing as deregulation. Um, you yeah. know, that, that it's re-regulation, like the idea, always, right? the idea that you could prevent the government from operating, uh, you know, in, in a significant sense economically is totally ridiculous. Um, you know, you, you, when people talk about deregulation, they're talking about, uh, the parts of the government that are, involved with telling businesses what they're allowed to do in terms of pollution, in terms of finance, in terms of, uh, you know, workers, they do not talk about property. They do not talk about corporate law, securities law. They do not talk about the police. Um, you know, the, these are fundamental structures of the government which allow the economy to exist in the first place. Um, you know, you, right. you 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 think about uh, the dollar. You know, the dollar is a creation of the government. There, there's a a, a very funny uh, interview of Ben Bernanke where he like uh, he's answering a question where uh, the interviewer is imagining sort of basically assuming he is a kind of bank, like he's running a, a Wall Street bank. He's like, well, what do you think of, you know, how does this interact with your balance sheet? And he's like, well, you, you just, uh, you just turn the, the numbers up. Like you, you just, uh, you press a button and you invent more money out of nothing. Like money printer goes burr. Yeah, no, I mean, literally that was what was happening, you know, to the multiple yeah. trillions of dollars. And so the way that the government, you know, and, and especially like the way that the government is, uh, uh, coerces people uh, through the legal system and the police, that is the thing that uh, neoliberals, propertarians, whatever you want to call them, uh, that is how they try to bracket that power away from, uh, you know, the question of regulation. Regulation is only when the Securities and Exchange Commission is telling banks uh, what their <laughs> leverage ratio has to be and all that kind of bullshit. It's not when the fucking government government employees like kick your door in and say that you're not allowed to smoke this kind of weed or that like 
you know, you're not allowed to form a labor union or that you're not allowed to do a sympathy strike it's, uh, to say that. I mean, that is still that is still illegal to do a sympathy strike to say that, uh, you know, these workers are, are having a strike in their business. And so we're going to have a strike because we're a supplier of those businesses. We support those people ideologically and, and the sense of solidarity right. that is illegal. And so you can get the courts to come in and the police to come in and arrest you and, and uh, decertify your union yep. and throw you no, all out of jobs. It's all, it's all political uh, through and through. It always involves the state. Yeah. And it's just a question of whose side is the state on, whose side is the law on, who is the violence of the state and the police uh, kicking the door in for, and who who, who is being brought to, to heal. Um, and, and we forget that, I mean, how absurd is the idea that get government out of economics Corporations are literally legal fictions created by the state. Yeah. Like I, yep. people forget, forget this, right? So, so it's actually the state empowering people, uh, to get together in certain ways with, I mean, literally with certain protections and, uh, favorability, whether it's in the tax code or, uh, whatever it is that corporations do to gain the wealth they gain, which is money also created by the state is because of the advantages given by the state to their special permission and operation and, and like the nature of what that entity is right yeah an llc limited liability corporation all corporations have limited liability you know that this uh is a legal construct of the government to allow people to behave in a certain collective fashion uh because you know i think there are some good arguments in favor of it to say that like okay we're going to sort of like bracket off this set of behaviors well, this is now a company, and so like the company is going to be responsible for the things rather than every single like part of each individual who's involved with the company. Um, but I think you have to be clear about that that you know that's a creation of government, and so therefore there is absolutely no reason why the government cannot also impose certain obligations to provide for the collective yeah. good on that same group of people who are getting special protections from the government, from people who uh, saying you can't be sued for this or that reason. Uh, like you can't go after the personal assets of the people, you know, who sort of like divide up the, the, the money. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like what the, what the propertarians want to set up is a totally one way system in which they get yeah. personal access to state coercion where you can, you know, they're, uh, the the legal system can enjoin the people that they don't want and the police can go in and kick the skulls in of the people that they don't like, the union organizers and so on. But then nobody else can can come in, you know, through the legislature, you know, through some kind of like uh, democratic socialist party and say, uh, no, you, uh, you know, you need to accept a certain kind of like regulation or the, even to say that, for example, like, uh, we're going to buy all the shares in this corporation because like, it's basically a creation of the state in the first place. And there's no reason why uh, a, a tiny handful of people should be allowed to own it at all. You know, uh, uh, but even short of that, like regulation saying like, uh, you shouldn't fucking dump your poisonous uh, toxic waste into the water supply of the community. Yep. You know, they, they fucking fight that tooth and nail. Um, and that's why you, you, you write that 
the self-regulating market myth, right, is both descriptively untrue as we've just gone over, but the function it serves is, as you say, to, to make it the job of the citizenry to contort themselves to fit the market's ever-shifting whims, which you say is also impossible, but that this is a facade covering political domination by business owners, essentially, right? Yeah. So this is the, this is the work, the work being done by the mythology of the, of the hege- hegemony. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the what this the, the the rhetorical and political function of proprietarian neoliberal rhetoric is to uh, camouflage a a, a a tyrannical political ideology to say that like these few people who happen to be in command of like systems of of privilege should be allowed to run society and everyone else should have to, you know, just submit or be killed or be thrown in prison or be like beaten, you know, like shoved into line. (laughs) That's why, you know, the oligarchs uh, never ask how you're going to pay for that when the fed is giving them $4.5 trillion in the cares act. Right. That's never, that's never the question that arises. It's only, how are you going to pay for that when it's unemployment or when it comes to, you know, serving the needs of uh, people who don't work, you know, as, as you go into in great detail, but also the, the workers that um, those oligarchs rely on, right, to, to make them their money. Um, this is the, the moral system of American capitalism, at least, uh, was, uh, is explicitly coercive. And you saw it happen um after the uh, uh the cares act like like passed and things started to return to like normal quote unquote like 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 jobs started coming back the the in the panic when we were losing 6 million jobs a week you had this uh, huge boost to unemployment benefits ironically because the american state is so shitty that they couldn't do like a nordic style 100% of whatever you had previously been making so they just tacked on 600 bucks you know to unemployment benefits and that meant that people were making uh much more money uh if you made less than the median income the average income rather uh you you would get much more money on unemployment than you had when you were employed sometimes a lot more like if you were working in fast food or something you're making like you know minimum wage uh you you know your income could triple or 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 so uh and this was hideously offensive to a lot of you know like the proprietarians in the senate and congress and which is bipartisan because you point out it's a bipartisan mentality. It is a bipartisan. Right? It, to- it is how the moral structure of American society has been, uh, uh, you know, formulated for like since the Constitution was passed. Basically, like the the workers need to be beaten into the labor market through the threat of starvation, and if the, the idea that they that people could be paid more not to work was just disgusting. No, no, no. To them. Only capitalists get paid not to work, yeah. my friend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you own a lot of yeah. stuff and you're just right. collecting like dividends, then that's fine because, you know, that's it serves the interests of the capitalist, you know, business owner. But if you're like a broke ass dude, you know, who just doesn't want to die of the coronavirus, 
then, you know, the idea that you, you could, the coercion could be removed from you is just disgusting. And, um, you saw, I mean, I think this is why the Biden administration just totally abandoned, you know, you, you had a boost, a $300 boost in the American rescue plan. It expired in September, I think. And it was just gone. Uh, and they didn't even try to save it, you know, and it, it didn't make any, I mean, the thing that I want to emphasize here, it didn't make any difference to the rate of employment growth. It was t- like uh, other conservative states had kicked it off before and liberal states had kept it, but uh, there was no difference. In fact, the, the conservative states did worse because there's less money flowing into their uh, uh, state economy. Yeah. So what do you think about this? Because it seems to, to fit what you've unpacked in your book here. The fact that like with the CARES Act, when the stock market was scared shitless and, and, and you know, when rich people's wealth was really in danger, okay, they really did a lot. And they, they, they said, okay, you know, how much does a banana cost, Michael? 10 bucks? I'll give 600 bucks for unemployment a week for whoever. Uh, but once the stock market is working okay, um, even if, so here's where it's not a rational, uh, ideology in terms of maximizing profit or GDP or anything like that. Uh, even if something like, say, through executive action, canceling student debt, you know, uh, which, you know, Marshall Steinbaum has shown would be a boost to GDP, right? This is just one instance of something where huge amounts of people would be alleviated of suffering and that, you know, inequality would be shrunk. The racial wealth gap would, would be shrunk. But Biden and those who drink the Kool-Aid, uh, of this ideology will nonetheless not do the thing that will help the quote unquote economy, right? Because of the, the moral logic that, uh, you know, those that are below in the hierarchy, those are the, the, the plebes, right? They, they don't deserve certain things and, and they have to be, uh, bootstrapping and responsible, right? Yeah. No, that, that's, I think that's a really important point. You, you see this argument on the left sometimes that, you know, everything that happens is a conspiracy to, like, increase profit. Um, right. And I, it's just not true at all. Uh, there, there are a lot of ways that businesses could increase profit but don't want to do it because it would be uh, ideologically threatening to them. It would threaten their status. It would threaten their power, you know. Profits yes. are people. A lot of people with in uh, commanding positions in American business right. already have more money than they could ever possibly <laughs> they spend. Ever, yeah. Elon Musk, yeah. uh, Jeff Bezos. These right. guys are not ever going to spend their fucking dragon horde of money. That's right. And yeah, the wealth is in service of their power. And so why cede any power giving ideas to the masses, right? Yeah. So you could imagine a, a situation in which like, you know, the business class is like, yeah, no, we need to give we need to give money to the poorest people in society because they, uh, you know, their money will uh, translate into more purchases, more profits for the businesses that I own. You'd never, ever see that sort of thing. Uh, And it's because that, you know, being a rich capitalist uh, is, you know, with with rare exceptions, it's not just about, uh, you know, watching the number go up in a spreadsheet on your, like, bank website. 
it's about being in charge and it's about right. like uh especially uh, having total dominion over the company that you, you know, have quote unquote built yourself, even though you haven't, because you're, you know, like they're like the workers have done the work of building the company, like making the products uh, that, that yeah. you sell. Um, and you know, people, it's like, a you know, you, you see this behavior, it's like fucking Shakespeare and stuff like, like the, the, uh, 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 people do, uh, if you're a powerful, important person and someone and like a bunch of people you regard as rabble are like coming up and they're like, I don't want to take your orders anymore. I'm going to like get another job somewhere else. I'm going to I'm going to form a union and tell you to like go fuck yourself. These are existentially threatening. Like this, this is strikes at the core of people's identity, is, their self-conception yeah. and their, 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 you know, their moral framework that they should be in power and everyone else should be taking orders from them. And that's, I would love, I would love Elon Musk and Bezos to have my kingdom for a horse that moment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like Elon Musk, my kingdom for some horsepower. I'm getting run, run, run out of town. Yeah. Here. I don't know. Yeah. Like that would be, that would be beautiful. Shall we um, bring in Spross here? <laughs> Whoa, it's Jeff Spross. Look at this. Incroyable. This is, I didn't see this coming, folks. We've got friend of the pod, friend of us personally, and just wonderful human being here to jump into the conversation. Uh, I guess, Jeff, you just you, uh, you couldn't let it stand that I was going to talk to Ryan, just the two of us about his book. You had to, to jump in, right? The, the aggression could not stand, man. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. I put, I, I put, I put, I put the toddler to bed, and then came rushing in. <laughs> Love it. Much obliged. You know, those 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 kiddos, they can be a real force to 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 deal with. So well done, sir. Well done. You missed me kind of putting coops under the uh, Guantanamo lights or whatever, and uh, <laughs> you know, really just giving them the business. Uh, no, we've been we've been talking about uh, capitalist hegemony, you know, and. Uh, you know, his beautiful book, as you know, has these two parts. The first part is the kind of unpacking of the how are you going to pay for that uh, nonsense ideology. And so we're, we're still on that part. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Ryan, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we were talking most recently about how the business elites are basically uh, dictating all kinds of things in terms of uh, how the economy runs under the guise of, you know, freedom and, and market logic, but, uh, we're kind of exposing how it actually works. Right. Right. Ryan, what's, what's, yeah. uh, where were we at? Yeah. Here? Yeah. To, uh, to, to return to the previous discussion, um, you know, we, we have seen this, I think, play out both the, 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 the sort of mechanics of it and the downsides of it, uh, over the last year during the pandemic, you know, um, the when Biden came in, you know, he had all this overheated shit about how he was going to like have millions of tests and a workforce of 100,000 people that was going to go into every city and town and like help the hospitals. And basically, whenever that conflicted with the 
perceived uh, self-interest of the business class, it just got thrown over the side. And Oh, that's right. Now we were also talking about how they, even against their own interests, that they will crush the the will of of the workers and and deny um, people things. We, we were, uh, yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that's the. I think that's the the take home message here is that that it's self defeating in both terms. You know, you like you have people saying, uh, you know, we need to help the economy by sort of just th- like forcing the working class into the meat grinder of the pandemic. Um, and, uh, it just, it doesn't, uh, make any sense on, it, it doesn't work. You know, the, 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 what happens with the, with the pandemic, you know, when like cases are really bad, people withdraw their spending just sort of out of fear and you have the same exact thing more or less that would happen, uh, economically as if, um, you, you know, didn't do, uh, 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 you had a kind of lockdown, that is to say, and and so you you know you you have these people basically who who are justifying their actions in terms of saying uh, that we need to do this because the economy is going to collapse so we don't do it. What they're actually uh, defending is their own power and status and uh, trying to like kick the shit out of the workers preemptively so that they don't get any ideas and that they have the same, you know, mute, uh, destitute working class so they could just sort of use up at will. And at the end of that process, you have the exact economic problems that were supposed to be avoided in the first place. You know, you you have the same with uh, a, a lack of spending, and um, you know the 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 supply chain problems from everybody getting sick and all of that shit, uh, and and so like it's both evil and self defeating on its own terms. You know, to to just pretend as though that there's this kind of trade off between like riches and the welfare of the working class. Um, if the, you can you can have both at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I not only am I running in here to interject in this conversation, but I have more or less read Ryan's book at this point. Um, and he had a you've got a good line in there at one point that I thought is like is like one of those crucial things that. We're always sort of circling, you know, whenever leftists talk about the economy that like sometimes you just need to state state outright. And like you put it in the book is that if you follow the logic of kind of, you know, you know, centrist, capitalist, neoliberal, call it what you will. But like the, you know, free market, small government, et cetera, et cetera, ideology, what it ultimately boils down to is the belief that like business elites and owners should rule. Yeah. Like rule society, rule the workers, just rule. And it's rarely ever, if ever stated explicitly by the people pushing those particular like ideologies and policies. But it's one of those things. It's like, if you game out the logic of what's being said, all roads lead inevitably back to that conclusion. And I think I actually, I actually wrote a few pieces near the start of the pandemic, like getting into like use of the Defense Production Act and like why the Trump administration at the time wasn't interested in it. And I I hearkened back to some stuff. I think it was from a piece that like – it was from a paper that J.W. Mason and 
uh, some other people too. I forget their names, but um, definitely JW and then some colleagues of his who I just, he had colleagues on this paper. It wasn't just him. That's all I want to note. Um, but they, they pulled, they pulled some stories from world war two and like some of them were just like, a lot of it was about like the business class freaking out because the government would just be like, look, you're going to produce what we need, like at the prices that we need, you're going to go along with like the planning we're set up. And if you're not, we're just going to kick you out and we're going to like find some like staff sergeant to run your company. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we are completely, and we are completely confident they can do it in a, you know, perfectly, you know, competent and acceptable manner. And it was kind of like there was a sudden realization by the business community during World War II. They're like, wait a minute. They're they're about to figure out that we're, you know, superfluous. We're we're, a, we're superfluous. <laughs> we're a vestigial organ. Like yeah. they're they're going to like they're going to yank they're going to yank back the curtain and like there's just going to be an old man there controlling the wizard's panel, you know? Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that like when you realize that, that sort of squares the circle that you guys are getting at, which is like, I, like I'm actually like if you re- if you recognize the self interest is ultimately not even to have like a a prosperous and growing economy, the self interest is to maintain a particular set of power relations, right? Like it, it all there's no there's no contradictory. That's right. right. It's like they're not contradicting their self interest anymore. It's like they'll burn the economy down. As long as like they maintain power over the workers, even to the extent of like damaging their own profit stream. Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the (laughs) fraction of people who are employed or working or looking for work in the Nordic countries as compared to the uh, the United States. It is higher in every single case, you know, like like. Places that have incredibly generous welfare states that don't beat the shit out of their workers and say, like, if you don't work, you're going to die. You're going to live on the street. You're going to you're going to live in you're going to have a terrible life if you don't look for work Uh, as compared to a place where it's like, well, if if you can't find a job, we're just going to basically like like help you in a million ways, you know, like incomprehensibly comfy places. More people work there than here. It doesn't f- function on its own, just sort of justification. Um, you know, the like you you beat people so much that they just give up. They 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 say they can't fucking handle it. You know, they they become damaged or the you know they they don't have sort of education or or social kind of like experience to deal with. You know the 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 you know the process of finding work and. Um, you know, it's it's just as you say, Jeff. I think uh, uh, very rightly, it's it's all about you know the domination of a particular political clique, and whether or not that improves the number of people who have jobs or like the overall like wealth of the country is completely fucking irrelevant. Like that, like the fact that the United States is a rich country is an accident. You know that like that just happened. Because of you know historical circumstances, and it it wasn't because of uh you know the like 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 the government sort of set up. I mean, maybe that's overstated a little bit. You know, from like sort of the 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 uh you know the 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 
uh, New Deal and and uh, you know industrial policy and so on and so forth. But it wasn't just letting the self-regulating market rip on the on the working class that produced the wealth of the country. You know, it 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 was you know a set of sort of contingent historical relations, and uh, it's something that you know you think about wealthy countries now. They're all. Uh, you know, they all manage their economies to a much greater extent than the United States, where it's virtually impossible to do anything. And you think about like a hundred years, if we're still stuck with the same dog shit constitution that makes it almost impossible to do any kind of like planning uh, and in and like industrial sort of like relations, then, you know, it doesn't look good for us. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's so messed up that we have to unpack the different ways that – I mean it, it, it's so morally abhorrent and dysfunctional that you have to really pick it apart to see how people can think this way. It's like le- learning to to think like a cult member or something. I don't know. Uh, but you, you, know, you talk about one of the myths that uh, sustains this ideology was the idea that economic growth required inequality, Right. That uh, that's the you know uh, the pie will get bigger and sure inequality will will rise but uh, but that's better for everyone because actually the pie will be bigger and those that are fighting for for economic equality well you're actually going to make uh, the country off w- worse off on the whole and and even the you know the the least of us will be worse off and so forth so that you know you go into some detail about why that's bullshit. Um, but also you, you pick apart kind of different types of growth and, and so forth. So maybe, maybe Ryan, you could talk a bit about that bullshit trade-off between uh, equality and, and growth. Yeah, I would just say, I, I love the calculation you did about like, we, if we, what is it? If we gave, if we gave the kind of like the poorest Americans, their cut of the economy that they had in 1970, like, we, we would have to shrink the economy back to the size it was in 1993 before that trade-off became a bad deal for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was how much more people got as a share. To, 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 to explain it in detail, the, um, back in, the, in 1970, uh, people got a share of the economy – you know, we're up to like 20% or something. The bottom half of the country got like, like 20% of the, of income. And it's since fallen to like 12 and a half percent, something like that. And so if you, you know, the, the, the slogan of a rising tide lifts all boats, you know, I think it was JFK who said that first, but you know, it's like growth will dissolve our social, our class conflict. We'll just make more, production um that uh the we won't have to uh deal with any of these messy class arguments and and uh, union fucking mobilizations and strikes or any of that stuff that makes everyone upset you know they they the uh things are disrupted we don't like that that's bad but uh if you look at the bottom half of society, they've seen an absolute decline in their living standards over the last like 50 years. And so you could, you could say like, well, what, you know, present a bargain to that group of people. What do you want? Would you like the economy to be shrunk down to the size it was in 19, uh, of whatever, 
or or uh, you know, would you like to preserve your current slide? And so you you do the calculation, and yeah, you can shrink the economy all the way back down to 1993 size before it starts being a bad deal, and that's how basically how bad the working class has been fucked over, you know, under neoliberalism, and how much that like all the gains and more, in fact, have been have flowed to the top and. Um, so key, the, the key rhetorical justification of this is to say that, that like the whole apparatus of neoliberalism, you know, and, and, and lib classical liberalism before it was that, you know, it's just a sort of set of rules that you put in place, uh, that automatically produce incredible wealth, um, if you're, you know, you do the gold standard back in the day or, or in the 1990s, you say, we're going to open our, our, our country up to uh, uh, capital markets and we're going to deregulate the financial sector and we're going to get rid of uh, minimum wage laws. All these, quote, you know, quote unquote, impositions on the um, economy that, you know, uh, prevent, you know, the ex- free exchange of goods and services that's going to make you rich so you just sort of throw your population into the meat grinder of the self-regulating market and you and wealth just pours onto you and it compensates for the fact that like people you know get fired all the time it's a bunch of bullshit it doesn't fucking happen and in fact growth slows whenever people do this whenever countries try to do this to themselves the result is worse growth, um, both at a national level and a global level, uh, than you had in the age that things were more controlled. And the and the countries that have done really well in the sort of like neoliberal age, particularly China, uh, they never subscribed to any of this shit. That's like no, you have to control the the system of economic production such that it happens inside your country, and that you get a piece of the pie. It doesn't happen automatically. That's a stupid thing to believe. Um, but that you know, American. I mean, American policymakers and economists—they fucking threw their own people into the the maw of this shit. You know, they they threw. Yeah, Swing I, state populations of workers just like straight directly into competition with like low wage employers in the third world. You know, you could you could argue that that's like morally good because like the people in China and India needed it more. But they were behaving in a way that is totally crazy from a, the standpoint of any kind of like democratic representation um, and in fact, you know, like you, you could argue it's like bad in both directions because, uh, you know, like the workers in China are being exploited even worse than the workers in Ohio were, uh, b- by the outsourcing companies. But the whole idea of a trade off between equality and growth is horseshit. And it goes back to the thing that we were talking about at the start spending the, the, Consumer dollar, the re- the the dollar in the pocket of the average Joe, is the engine of growth. That's what makes it happen. 
It's the it's that's yeah. the the central feature of the entire system. There's a lot of else that's going on right there, but it's like that's that's what the sort of like modern capitalist, you know, sort of Well, yeah, if you if you don't have, right? If you have inequality, then then the those that don't need to spend that they can just save more and more because they're already so rich you know maybe they'll buy some yachts and so forth like mansion yep but uh the people that really need to do the spending right to make the capitalists even more rich they they don't have the money their wages aren't high enough that they uh they can't do the spending that's required right nobody can the rich cannot buy great quantities of bread as john kenneth galbraith says and that's it's like you're you're a modern capitalist, you know, or just any kind of high productivity society uh, is going to, you know, I mean, just by definition is, is, is going to be producing great quantities of things. Who's going to buy the things? They must be great quantities of people. And if the people don't have the money to uh, buy the products of, of, <laughs> I guess they could just go into debt. That'll work out fine. That's what happened in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, but right. uh, you know, like like this. This is how you know. Going back all the way to the start of this conversation, it's all about circulation. You know, the the economy is a system of interdependence. Um, all economies, all societies, it's all about how people talk to each other, how they relate to each other, how they spend money. Uh, uh, you know, with each other. They buy and sell to each other, and that money's got to go around in circles. And so when you have extreme inequality, where just the money, instead of going around in circles, just fucking piles up in a huge tower in one particular part, it's like a tumor. Uh, It's like a cancer on the economy. Like all the force, all the productive life of the, of the, the economy and this, and the whole society, like people's effort, their, 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 what they do, uh, uh, on a day-to-day basis, like their life force is sucked up into a giant, like pus filled blister <laughs> on, on like, you know, the, 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 uh, have you seen it's one of those days I'm glad I have Fantasia. I can't picture that. <laughs> that uh, but, but that's you know, it, you know <laughs> it's a sickness. I mean I mean that's socially exactly <laughs> right. you see how fucking the, the the life expectancy, the number of opioid overdoses, the number of people who have been just cast aside in American society. We don't need you anymore. And we don't need you anymore because you we won't give you the spending power, the money and the and the jobs and the social respect that would justify your existence. So so kill yourself. We don't give yeah. a shit. Fuck yeah. you. Uh, uh, ten people <laughs> it's, having it's a, billions of dollars is more important than all of West Virginia dying of opioid overdoses. And it's it's fucking disgusting. You know, it's it's a it's a morally abhorrent system. Okay, folks, Ryan cutting here in here at the end to say that this conversation went on quite long. Um, and so we decided to cut the episode in half. Uh, so to get the second half, stay tuned. It'll be coming out in the next couple of days. But again, um, make sure if you're interested to check out the event I'm doing with David Dan at the Powerline Arena. And uh, pre-order uh, link is also in the description. Um, thanks for listening.